I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Doing great. One of these days, we're going to have to come up with a better way of starting these podcasts than that, but... We just seem to have fallen into it, and it works, so I guess why not stick with it? Yeah, that's what we did on the very first one. It was like, all right, that's... Absolutely, we just shot from the hip, and it was like, <laughs> oh, that, I guess that's our intro then, but this is no good. I mean, Classic with the programmer of... move of like, why do you do it this way? Well, we've already done it. Always exactly, done it. yeah, right. We've... Yeah. Why would we change that? We've always yeah. used three spaces and a tab as indent. <laughs> Okay, all right. Spaces in a tab? I think I have probably triggered everybody now. Oh, my God. I There's, You I'm have never, no words for that, I know. <laughs> I'm just going through in my mind all the terrible things I would do. <laughs> I think I met someone some once who mentioned that they had some some kind of compromise space tab thing. It was That's a bit a like compromise. that. <laughs> so like everyone was equally offended by that <laughs> setup. <laughs> Well, we've, I can't, this is probably the quickest we've ever gone off any kind of script that we had. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it's worth it. So okay. worth it. Compromising on three spaces in a tab. It wasn't exactly like that, that, but it was some, something to do with that. And I mean, yeah, well, we've, we've, we've never really talked about spaces and tabs here. And yeah. I don't propose that we do now because, you know, there's some, we should leave some things to the reader's imagination. Yeah, we'd uh, have to do a two-parter on that one. That would <laughs> So instead, let's talk about VI or Emacs. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no, enough, enough. Yeah. So what we were going to talk about, in fact, what we are going to talk about today was our own particular unusual experiences with web development, mm-hmm. in, particularly in the industry that we, we have found ourselves both in and how we've learned web development and then how we've taken that on into other aspects i mean i certainly have in terms of things like um, you know compiler explorer has definitely um learnt um stuff but it, it comes essentially from the trading industry and actually indirectly through the same person who taught us both yes his particular flavor and brand of how to do web development so mm-hmm. should we talk a bit about let's talk about joe let's talk about joe he's a person worth talking about he is a person worth talking about so i i first started working with joe many years ago when we worked together at Google. And then when he left, he's the guy who brought me into finance effectively. But is, is, did you meet him first when you were at the trading company we we first yes. worked together at? Yes, Dr. W. Dr. W, <laughs> yeah. That was in jokes. No in jokes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and Joe is one of those rare individuals who just gets stuff done. He's an ideas person and has an amazing ability to just crank out stuff so quickly in a really, mm-hmm. really uh, um, seemingly impossibly short amount of time. And mm-hmm. that's awesome. And part of that comes down to the techniques that he uses. And one of those is his how he hacks together. And I'm going to say hack, and hopefully he won't be offended if he ever listens to this, which I'm sure he won't. Um, hacks together websites. Mm-hmm. So what are your experiences with the the Joe approach or what do you what what is your definition of Joe approach because we haven't really thought about yeah, what it yeah, is yeah. what it quantified it and why it's well, important I think rather than trying to define it in sort of any like specific terms I think at least for me it makes more sense to sort of talk about how I learned it and sort of the evolution you know and we talk about like learning from other 
people a lot on this podcast and sort of the way that you, you do things. And I have this memory of Joe giving a presentation, sort of like a Geek Lunch style presentation at this trading company, uh, talking about how he was using, how he was building, you know, trading apps and other tools in Chrome. And the approach that he was using was very different from anything that I'd seen before. Every All the web development that I'd seen before had been extremely framework heavy. Mm -hmm. So you would go and you would get some web development framework and you would try to, you know, build your application in that framework and do whatever the framework did. And, you know, oftentimes the framework would make promises about like, oh, well, this will now work across different browsers. So you won't have different problems in different browsers, which always turned out to be false. Uh, you had other problems in different browsers. It was just harder to figure out what they were because you had this framework there that was, you know, trying to do things for you and was maybe sometimes doing some things for you, but, you know, wasn't always doing everything for you. Um, and so he sort of presented this thing and it was like, you know, a very s simple approach where it's like, actually, and this was like in 2011. I was going to say, it's about a decade ago, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he's like, actually... If you just use Chrome and you don't worry about other browsers, um, which uniquely and, you know, we were placed to be able to do for what it's worth, right, you know, which exactly. is a, I mean, a blessing that most people don't have, but right, right. I mean, this whole approach is very, I think, a little idiosyncratic to the, the industry that we work in. The fact that you can get away with this. Um, but he's like, we're just going to use Chrome. We're going to tell everybody, like, hey, if you want to use these apps, you should use them in Chrome. They even put a little check in the app, say, like, hey, you're not using Chrome. I'm not going to do anything for you until you install Chrome. Um, but if you just use Chrome and you just use the APIs that Chrome gives you, which are all web standard APIs, because at that point, and certainly today, but at that point, the the you know the Web standards had kind of grown up. They sort of gave you a lot of things that you needed. You didn't really need a bunch of extra stuff. It's sort of like it's all there in the browser. Um, so if you just use that, uh, and you you know use some like very simple techniques for like HTML templating and a few other things, like you can build web applications without anything else, and they work great and they're extremely simple. Right. Um, and the and advantage that that has, at least in the trading industry, is that, you know, if you're building like a, especially like a click trading application, I mean, this is also true true for tools and other things, but especially in click trading, you know, hundreds of milliseconds matters a lot. And right? just to, just for those who don't know, uh, click trading is for like a manual trade where a human yes. is deciding to make trades. Obviously, you and I have worked in industries, where, uh, parts of the industry where everything's completely automated, but a mm -hmm. click trader is like the UI for somebody to place orders and they're going to be human quick, which is not yep. high frequency quick, but it's still, if you click and it takes two seconds to respond because of whatever, right? then you're going to get a very awkward question asked of you right. come the, right. the, the miss uh, of, of not actually, yeah, not, not getting yeah. that trade done. Yeah, yeah. Why do we miss this? Because this button didn't do anything. Um, and then the other place where I think this matters a lot is in control systems, which I definitely did right. a lot as web apps which again was kind of novel at the time, like the fact that Joe was sort of presenting this and saying like, hey, you can do this, um, you know, to say like, you know, oh, the button to stop the trading system is here. Mm -hmm. And like, if you click that button and it doesn't work, <laughs> then really, really, really bad things are going to happen. Yes. So um, you need to make sure that you understand, you know, 
basically the whole stack of like, okay, I click this button, this event fires, this bit of JavaScript runs, it sends a message up this WebSocket to this other thing, which then turns off the trading system, right? Um, so like, if you can't, you know, sort of lay your hands on every little bit of that and make sure that you understand it all, it's harder and maybe not even wise to um, use uh, web apps to build these things. But that was the brilliance of Joe, is that he sort of saw that you could do this and showed people how to do it. And I learned how to do it. And a bunch of people that I worked with how to do it. And to this day, I, I still know a lot of people that uh, are there and build apps this way and, and use them this way. Um, but it is a it is a little bit of an idiosyncratic method because you're just, you're not using, you know, you, you might use some sort of light libraries like jQuery. Yeah, right? well, I mean, even even uh, jQuery, I think, is mostly yeah. out of my my canon as well. And I've, I've mostly dropped out now. I don't need it. There are a couple of things yeah. I occasionally go, oh, I wish I had jQuery for this, but I just can't be bothered to bring it in. And, mm -hmm. you know, when, you're, when your web page is uh, uh, an HTML file, which is all of like a dozen lines, and then mm -hmm. a single JavaScript file that has no external dependencies – that's kind of a nice place to be for a lot of like little systems that you're running, you know, and, and you can do quite a lot with that. You know, tables can be, be made to, to work, buttons, uh, update, status bars, things like that. And effectively, you're using uh, the way that I think of it is, is I'm using, um, the, the, the web browser as purely a simplified canvas for my application to sort of render to. And most of the time it's, mm -hmm. it's, and we're not, not in like an actual canvas sense, right? But like there's, right. hey, there's about a half dozen buttons that I need to be able to update the text on. And for that, I don't need React. And right. I don't need these other right. things. Now, occasionally you do find yourself going down the path where you, you know, you're like, well, if I edit the, the, the value in this text box and hit enter, Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, someone else is editing the same text box. Box. How do we deal with this kind of like state thing? Right. If there's a server, all those kind of issues. And you know that frameworks do sometimes have solutions for you along those ways. But you still have to think about them. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it is that much of a, a a saving grace there. And maybe I haven't been exposed to the right framework to be able yeah. to have that opinion. Which is, but I think you know. Again, uh, this is now going a bit wider than what we're talking about. Like frameworks in general are kind of can be an issue because if they do what you want that's amazing but if they don't you're in trouble and you're kind of stuck um, right and i i'm yeah. not fond of that inversion of control thing you know where yeah framework calls you you know in soviet russia <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yes <laughs> so um but so anyway yeah, totally. that aside but um yeah the the for me sitting down with joe and joe back in 10 years ago we were just jquery would be the thing that we would do just to unify and make a whole bunch of stuff relatively straightforward and, you know, especially CSS selector type stuff right, is really, right. really straightforward in, in jQuery. But then going, how, how am I going to write, uh, how am I going to make this table populate with all these rows and columns and things? Because I don't really don't want to be doing it in code. And you mentioned HTML templating, which I think is another amazing like trick. Well, we'll have a single CSS tag that says template. And then mm -hmm. we'll have the single piece of CSS that says anything that's template is display none. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now I can find that template and I can clone it and add it to its parent, which means now I get another row in my table and mm -hmm. then I can remove the template CSS tag from it. And now suddenly I have used uh, the, the the thing that I've written out in HTML with just the class template as an, a template. And I've got a yeah. new row of my table and now I can just fill it in. I can find all of the things and find the, you know, the second uh, thing that's uh, marked in a particular way. And that's, that's where I'm going to change the text to be whatever. And, 
that was an eye-opener for me. Is like, oh, how simple and yeah. elegant it is to be able to, yes. in almost one continuous line of JavaScript, just with continuation like dot this, dot this, dot remove class, dot mm. whatever, dot find this thing, and dot text new new line. And you're like, oh, it, it instantly reacts and... Um, and I have a web app that is that's that's responding to me straight away. That's right, great. Right, I love it. Right. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts about that is that that means that you're editing HTML in an HTML editor, right? You don't have this weird thing where you're like got HTML interleaved inside of JavaScript and like you gotta have a very smart editor that knows it's like, oh no, this string is actually like an HTML snippet. And so when you when you open one you know, uh, element that's going to automatically close on the end, right? Like, it's like, no, this is just HTML. You can load it in pretty much any right. editor. And, and if you just delete that normally. template tag of it as well, you can yeah. actually load it up and without the JavaScript and see what a single row would look like. So you right. have got a little bit right. of the, like, this is what the placeholders would look like. Uh, yeah. So that works yeah. pretty well, too. So, yeah, that was an, an eye-opener for me. And yeah. then um, yeah. the WebSockets you mentioned there, which is, I don't know how many folks have actually done anything with WebSockets, but, like, the the other sort of take home for me was um, just using WebSockets for everything. Yeah. Like you go to a web page, the web server's um, responsibilities are to give you the HTML, to give you the JavaScript, mm-hmm. and then and the CSS maybe, and then sit there. And as soon as you connect back through WebSockets, it gets out the way, and now you're talking pretty much directly to your server, forgetting yes. the fact that there's a there's a web browser there at all. And now you're just exchanging messages with the web page directly. And that was, an, again, another eye-opener. All this RESTful stuff I'd done before, you know, in query right. parameters. Right, and, right, you know, Do right, I put right. it in the in the hash string mm-hmm. or do I put it as a query parameter? Do I post or get or whatever? So all that goes out the window because once you've got your app, the app is loaded and now you're just doing client-server stuff like mm-hmm. it was a TCP connection. And that's amazing. And, yep. and one of the tricks yep. that we used to do as well, I mean, this, again, is something you should never ever 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 do unless you are 100% in control of everything like we are when we're saying about this but um what um what uh, i've seen done before and with with joe was like to have a with block that says uh with uh some uh i can't even remember how it works now in, in javascript it's been so long since i've done this but essentially we just evaluated whatever the text was that came down the web yes socket. right so yes. that meant that the server could do literally anything it wanted to. And if you wanted every sort of command in your RPC was just like literally calling a JavaScript function that you had previously arranged. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could also send down things that were like alert and anything, anything at all, which of course is terribly dangerous. You know, you should never <laughs> let your server execute directly yes. the, the code. But it meant that you didn't actually yes. have to write a protocol document. That was it. Was, um, right. right. So that's eye-opening as well. And it's really, really, really powerful to, to, to be able to do those, that kind of stuff. And in fact... I was so enamored of this approach that when we started, uh, when I moved on to C++ um, trading systems, uh, I ended up writing, there weren't many uh, things that were around for for WebSockets at that time for for C++. Mm -hmm. And so I just wrote a web server that had WebSockets thing uh, support and um, embedded it into all of our trading systems. And then very quickly it was like, no more are we kind of SSHing onto boxes and poking around with processes or kill, you know, kill minus hop to sort of shut down the trading system or having text files, whatever. It's like, no, you just go to the web page and there's the big red button, exactly as you described. And then very, very quickly you're like, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could visualize exactly what the internal state of the trading system was? And then quickly it becomes this, this beautiful web page with all of these beautiful like CSS things that are going on and Mm -hmm. GIFs that are uh, uh, 
lights that go red and 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 yeah it just felt like oh yeah. this is a natural way of extending my application and um uh yeah it it, it just all came out of like a websocket connection there's no there's nothing really mm-hmm. clever behind the back of it mm-hmm. yeah that's CSOX, right? Isn't that's that CSOX, library? yeah, which is a terrible yeah. name. But yeah, <laughs> no, that's a, that's a very clever name. I like. It, that I don't know. Well. It's it's not as clever as I thought. Uh, but yeah, CSOX <laughs> is is uh, pretty good. I mean, there are plenty of other ones out there now that are that are better. They're more C plus plus seventeen and twenty or whatever. But this one was made to work, and it's about it's been running for about twelve years now. And in fact, somebody managed to port it to work on Windows the other day, which was, I was surprised because wow. it's just a Linux thing that I was wanted to just have work. To so say relatively low overhead, um, yeah, good fun, yeah. and yeah, the world is your oyster once you've you've got uh, a web yep. server and JavaScript, general purpose programming language on both sides or, or on one side. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, yeah. What about you? What about your experiences with this kind of stuff? I mean, so been... very, the, I did basically the same thing. The one thing that I sort of realized as I was learning this stuff from Joe that again was a huge departure from anything that I'd seen because I've done some web development stuff before starting you know, before working with Joe, but all of it was just super painful. And I'm, I just CGI don't, I don't, bin. <laughs> I don't, I don't like it. I don't like anything about this. Right. And, and, you know, yeah, all of the arguing about, you know, which HTTP verb is the right one here. And is this, this a put nonsense. or a, a post? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but the, the, the two things that I, the two additional things that I kind of got out of that were, um, a, if you build web applications this way, they are extremely testable. Oh, like extremely testable. Well. Like, and I still have carried this on to this day, where it's like when I'm building web applications, like my standard for unit testing is maybe even a little higher than it is in server-side languages like you know Java or Python or Ruby or Clojure or stuff like that. So- how does that work? How do you? How do you? What, what makes this testable? I'm genuinely intrigued now because I don't. I, I well, so just it, I don't know. <laughs> it mostly it mostly gets back to that whole templating approach, right? And you can you can expand on this and you can add lots of cool things to it. But the fundamental of it is, when I want to show some content on a page, the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to have a function, and that function takes some amount of input and it returns an HTML element. And that ah. HTML element is almost certainly a template that has been cloned and then populated with stuff. And that stuff could actually be data or it could also be click handlers. But none of that matters because if all I've got is a function that returns an element, then I can pass stuff into the function, get the element back, say like, hey, is the value of this field the string foo? Cool. What happens if I trigger a click event on this element over here? Does it change to bar? Yes. And now fundamentally all you're doing is testing a tree. It's just a Got tree it. data structure. That's all it is, right? With, so with some so handles associated with test. it, but not but but yeah, it's just a uh, yeah, I don't, so you actually use the DOM objects themselves as sort of like the the conduit by which you can interrogate yes. and say did you do the right thing and not did you do the right thing because of the state of the program change or anything but like, but like did the tree contain the right information and does it exactly. have the right behavior when i to and treat it effectively as the testable object that's amazing yeah i'd never thought right. of doing that yeah that's so cool and and, and 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 really it was like you know joe like did some stuff with this joe was never as i mean few people are as bananas about testing as i am but you know, it was never like his main thing, but I sort of saw what he was doing and I saw, I was like, oh, I could write tests for this. It'd be great. And this was going back all the way to like, you know, 2011, 2012, we started working on that, the, you know, the Monocle project and other things like that at, at, at 
DRW. We started writing tests this way. The team I was working with started writing tests this way, and I've kind of done it that way ever since. Um, and it's just it creates this this really great seam, which I had done a lot of work when I was right out of school with Java and Swing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I was actually hired to be a Qt developer, and like a month into it, they're like, "Oh, you're not going to do any C plus plus or Qt. You're going to do Java Swing instead." I'm like, "Okay, I don't wow." Know. Um, and I spent probably two or three years, a little more than that actually, building 2D graphics tools in Swing. So this was a lot of like 2D Canvas stuff, but also just user interfaces, you know, buttons and forms and things like that. And all of that stuff, I mean, even back then I was like super test infected and, and even, and, and I always, always had a really hard time testing any of that stuff. Um, and part of the problem was this sort of like fundamental issue that you have with testing UIs, which is there's no such thing as a cert pretty right? Yeah. You have to look at it as a human being. You have to look at it and be like, is this intuitive? Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Does this communicate the ability of the software to a person who would use it? A normal human being of which I am a reasonable approximation. Um, yeah, close enough, right? <laughs> uh, if you've, anytime you see an open source uh, tool with a user interface in it, I guarantee you that user interface like nine times out of ten, maybe eight times out of ten, is just going to be terrible. It's going to be absolutely terrible because it's designed you, by programmers. Have you seen my website? <laughs> just saying. It's, I mean, it's, it's not <laughs> the best from that point of view. It's utilitarian. That's what I tell yes. myself. User experience designed by people who at best are able to uh, synthetically replicate human emotion. Right. right. Like it's... <laughs> I barely passed the Turing test. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. Um, but it's there's no the the problem with testing is like you always have this thing of like I have to look at it. I have to look at it to know that it's right. Yeah. And one of the great things that sort of came out of that experience, you know, building these web UIs and being able to build things this way, is I found a, a seam. I found a line between that was very clear that I could explain to people uh, between the stuff that you could reasonably unit test. And the stuff that you just had to verify as a human being. Right. And that is the stuff that's just the tree, the DOM, all completely testable. All the events that you can trigger on there, all the everything, all the classes that are on there, everything is completely testable. It's just a tree data structure. That's it. You can test it. It's super simple. The place that you can't is the CSS. It's the styling. How so you it have looks the tree and how it reacts in terms of like the, the, the browser's representation of it. Right. 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 But the Do semantical you, you, th semantical the semantic <laughs> um thing that says the input box, it's an input, and yes. I know it is it has two fields and one of them has yep. this tag and one of them says other tag and the content should be this and that. Yep. And then it's like the yep. style it's up to the styling to make them look how it's presentable to a user, but I'm sure that I put the right information there. And now I can kind of, my, the responsibilities of the program have finished and the responsibilities of the styling take mm -hmm. over at the point where you hand over and just agree on uh, class names or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and it creates this sort of like very clear boundary between uh, I'm, I'm writing code and I'm writing tests to manipulate the DOM versus... I'm basically acting as a UX designer now, mm -hmm. 
and I am styling that DOM and I am choosing colors and I'm choosing fonts. Yeah. And I'm at, I'm maybe, you know, you know doing. Assert, you, if you're right, yeah, I, I suppose the, th- the thing here is this is like asserting, you know, if I get an error, if I send an error to this, this thing, does it look red? And if you're writing your yeah. test like that, you're doing it wrong because yes. it does, shouldn't be that it looks red. It's that it has right. the style class associated with yes, it. Yes, it has the error st- It has the error class on it, and that's well, the only thing I'm asserting in the test. It because you don't know whether class. or not that. Yeah, it's a bit like we're doing localization. Actually, now yeah. I'm thinking about yeah, it. You know, like, it again, is. you want to put the the semantics of what are important, yeah. and the thing that right. comes afterwards is the presentation layer, which is you uh-huh. know what, what does it actually come out of? As yeah, yeah, right, right. No, that's yeah, that's really a really good. That's a great point. Is it is? It's a little bit like localization. It's a lot like localization, actually. But that separation, being able to have that separation, um, was was a was a game changer for me. And we and I got I've gotten more sophisticated with it over the years. You know, started using different like you'll have classes on the DOM that are strictly for styling. Like you know, you'll see this a lot now with a lot of CSS frameworks where it's like you get these like um like prefixes classes that are like MT five, right? Margin top five. Oh right? yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, stuff like that. And I like that stuff a lot, but like that is purely for styling and I'm putting that in the templates. I'm almost certainly not writing unit tests to assert that it's there unless I've got something where it's like, oh yeah, when this event happens, you need to handle that event by adding some margin to this element. In I which see. case, I might write a test that says, like, hey, uh, after the you know blur event happens, does this element now have the MT5 class? Cool, great. But you should um, also never do that, please. <laughs> like, if, if you if you're so, changing the styling when it, when something loses focus, then I'm going to come I, around with a club. Yeah, I think no, I showed you a website true, the other actually, day yeah. that where where it was like wantonly on mouse move would like make a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff appear on the screen that moved everything away to the point yeah. where right it was impossible to click one of the yeah bugbear's over. The but, input just like runs away from your cursor. Yeah, exactly. It's like one of those things. Like, come here. Um, oh my god. Um, but, but yeah, so and and that was that was sort of a, a natural evolution out of that, and it tied into the whole thing of like you know, and uh, a lot of things that I did um, at aforementioned company was was building like these quick trading apps, like we built them mm-hmm. for a couple of different trading desks there, and you know they are some of them are like actually it's weird to say latency sensitive, but it's like that's what it is, like speed really matters, and and obviously correctness also matters a ton because you know you're you're acting in in you're sending millions of dollars worth of market, uh, so, of, of, yeah. of trades into the market yeah you want to do so the that. combination of those two things like really led me to this place of building applications this way testing applications this right. way and having this like super clear separation between here's the styling and honestly we're probably not going to change it that much we're going to write the css we're going to put a couple of classes in there for the things that we need and we're going to mostly leave it alone and then Primarily, what we're doing is just, you know, getting messages from WebSockets, sending messages to WebSockets, calling functions, creating elements, and putting them in the DOM. Yeah. That's it. That's that's cool. How do you. So, one of the things that I always found difficult with the limited amount compared to what you're describing of testing I was doing in the front end, and anyone who's used Compiler Explorer knows that there's not much in the way of front end testing, um, uh, despite some of my. My friend's helping very much on that. But like, how, how does one in general do testing when the only thing that can really give you a DOM that acts the way that 
well, maybe maybe you tell me this isn't, but my my instinct is the only thing that will provide a DOM interface that is a, true to life is a web browser, which is not something that I can script or debug in the same way. It's a very heavyweight thing uh, compared to um, you know like what I'm used to with like yeah, here's an assertion. It's a framework that I just literally call a cert on it, and it's like you know call square root square root of 144 is 12. End of story. Yeah. Well, how do you how do you how do you test it? So lately what I've been doing, I mean, I can go back and give you the whole history of how I got here, but lately what I've been doing is I've been using just headless browsers, usually headless Chrome. Got it. And I run all of my tests in CI and on the command line just with the headless Chrome. Um, there's a particular tool that I've, I've been using more in the last couple of years, which I actually like a lot, called Karma. Okay. Um, and what I Karma think that might will be what do, we're using. I might have to yeah, click over I, here and see. I like Karma. It's it's good. I mean, it lets you run. You can run multiple headless browsers at once. So it's like, and it has the whole you know continuous testing model of like whenever you change your code, it'll automatically rerun your tests, and it can rerun in multiple browsers if you want. Um, I'm still, you know, if I'm building internal apps, I'm still doing the thing of like, hey, use Chrome. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, if you have multiple browsers, you need to test against. Because, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I've never been satisfied. I've tried – this was more five, six, seven years ago. I've tried the all, like, you know, the Node.js simulated DOM yeah. stuff and libraries and all that. Or even, and you know, the, saw, having the web browser open and, like, just having to manually eyeball the green on that and, like, yeah. reload the page. And it's actually running in the browser, like, as a thing, and it sets up – and I've never felt satisfied with that because it's, like, unless yeah. unless some Unix process returns a non-zero exit value, <laughs> like, I don't think that my tests are, yes. are, are, are testing anything. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, to, in fairness, what I used to do is I would set up some kind of live reload setup. So this live reload is actually a library, but it's also kind of a technique of, like, every time you change, you know, a bit of markup or JavaScript or whatever – Whatever browsers you have open that are connected to that app automatically reload. Reload, right. There's a the hot um, reloading thing that... Yeah, yeah. The sort of hot reloading thing. And I've done that for a long, long time. And when I would just run my tests in the browser, that was fine because i just bring the browser window up and I'd see the test results there. But in the last few years, I've, I've the tools have gotten good enough to where I, I feel like you can just do it entirely on the command line right now and it gives you what you want. And if something goes wrong, there's still a web server running there. So the headless browsers are connecting to it you can just connect a regular web browser to it and you can debug it right so if I something see. weird happens you just open up a browser go to localhost 9876 and there's your test runner and you so can open up the console and you what, can see what's wrong and you can step through the code and you can do all the things that you normally do daft question what exactly does the headless chrome do you know what is it like you run headless chrome and give it a web address and then it returns when the web page calls exit or how, how does that work where does where you know where does the so, output of it go and how how yeah it yeah so the 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 karma tool that i've been using recently the way it works is it launches the headless browser for you right and it communicates with it right so it is serving up this like generated html file that has all of your tests and the you know testing framework and a bunch of other stuff in it to communicate, um, and then it just opens the headless browser and points it at that thing, uh, and then you know executes your tests and then gathers the results and then if you're running it in continuous mode, it just prints the results out to a terminal and every time you change it, it reruns the test. If you're Got running it. it in batch mode, it just returns you that you know non-zero error code or zero error code that you want prints out the results of the tests as it's doing it and you can run it in your, you know, I, 
you know, I have a couple of projects right now where I'm running it in GitHub Actions and it works great, right? Nice. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of that. And it's definitely a, it's been a, a long evolution because, you know, back in 2012 when we were doing this, it was, it was literally like, well, we're going to write these tests and we're going to just put them in the browser and we're going to just reload the page every time we make a change. Right. right. I and remember we deployed we like a test.html that you could go to. So yes. we would deploy it and then go to test.html and make sure that the actual deployed system uh, passed all the yeah, tests before yeah. we tell the traders, yeah, okay, you can use it, which is right. unsatisfying, you know, <laughs> but necessary. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, right. um, there are things like, and now I'm blanking web um, web driver Selenium. I think are the two mm-hmm. two or they they may be the same thing now. I think I know Simon Stewart who also knows Joe incidentally through the strange mm-hmm. sort of like set of people that we we know um, are involved with that. And and that was very much more as I understand it would like run a full web browser and then write tests in terms of interrogating the DOM kind of exogenously to say like, hey, right. there should be a thing somewhere on this entire page that says hello world. And if there isn't, then we didn't load the web page properly or things like that. Those kinds right. of assertions are what you could run. And I'm sure I remember having conversations about like snapshotting and doing like pixel level yeah. comparisons about like, well, it ought to look something like this, you know, give or take 20% of error, which immediately is like well that's a very brittle test that you've just designed yeah, for yourself yes, there. but exactly. i but also it is a way of locking in uh yeah. a very specific uh behavior if you require it which seems a little bit too much for, for, for me and obviously it's not what we've been talking about now but yeah yeah i think if you if you have a lot of money to spend on testing and um you have a, a system that's fairly mature and not changing that much uh, then those kinds of approaches can can be effective. They can be better than not doing them. Yeah. Um, and and you know especially if you if you had no front end tests and you're trying to retrofit them, um, I think that's a situation. These are, I mean, if you cast your mind back, um, however many years it is that we've been going now, when we had uh, Claire on the on the program and mm-hmm. the golden tests, uh, yeah, not golden yeah, tests. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, that's what I always call golden them. Golden image. Uh, sorry, what did you say? I said golden image, but yeah, golden image. 2D, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And now yeah. I can't. Um, oh darn it! I can't remember the name of the te- term that 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 she uses. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, oh gosh, yeah. You've. I can see you. The color of Ben's face has changed as he clearly all tabbed away. Acceptance tests. I remembered it without even yeah. looking. Yes. It just happened. Uh-huh. Anyway, sorry, sorry, Claire. Approval testing. Approval testing. Approvals. Approval. There you go. Approval. Approval. Even better. Approval sorry, testing. I got it wrong. Yes. There. Yeah. So approvals tests, which are a great yeah. way of retrofitting. Yeah. Um, test into a system that has none at all when mm-hmm. you can just go to the far end and say, well, okay, if I feed this text file into my compiler, I should get this executable out at the mm-hmm. end and I'm just going to do a bitwise comparison. It's a great mm-hmm. starting point for doing no harm. Similarly, presumably this kind of test where you say, okay, simulate an 800 by 600 image, render right. the screen and then kind of go, it ought to look like this. That's that's a equivalent of an approval test, but probably just yeah. to... to um, uh, what's the word? Too brittle. Yeah. Um, I want to talk back a bit about um, performance because, mm, you know, okay. if you like testing, um, then it's in character for me to talk about performance. <laughs> I remember um, at the time that we were first looking at uh, integrating some of these um, Chrome-based trading apps, they were displacing some C-sharp uh, applications like thick clients mm-hmm. that were, were going. And the concern was that with you know, a, a couple of hundred, if not a couple of thousand 
uh, stock tickers and all of the information about them, that there would be no way that the UI could keep up with the torrent of information that's coming down the, the, mm-hmm. the line. If you're a trader and you're saying, what's the trading volume in your little graphs, you can imagine little spark line type graphs, and then a huge giant monitor full of these things all being updated in real time, you might imagine that it, it wouldn't be fast enough to keep up. And um, amazingly, it was. I think that was the first surprise, mm-hmm. is that yes. Joe was like, actually, the Chrome people are pretty smart. And this was, again, a decade ago. They've done a really, really good job of of only updating the parts of the screen that actually changed. And if you're not yep. daft in the way you write your JavaScript, if you're not always looking things up with like complicated CSS queries, you know, you, you know, right. your, whatever internal representation you have is, you know, you've got your array or your map of stock ticker mm-hmm. to some object, and that some object contains the actual DOM element references right, of like exactly. where the hell things are, then yep. it's really quite quick to sort of update the text of them or to, to manipulate uh, a little canvas tag associated with them. And that was super, super surprising to us at the time. Uh, we did hit some level of uh, limiting factors uh, when we were doing uh, live views of a particular uh, stock tickers market. So hundreds of thousands of orders that were being added and removed from the market and a graphical representation of them. And one of the limitations was was, uh, was bypassed by using canvases directly, which was one thing, rather than having lots of DOM elements that you were manipulating. In this particular yeah. case where they were very, very specialist uh, objects, so it made sense to take the time to actually draw them and undraw them ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, another thing was not using uh, JSON com- comms between uh, yeah, the server yeah. and the and the client. Like literally having like, well, there's a one character which says if either is this a new order, is it the change to an existing order, or is it a deletion of an order? It's like a one character in ASCII, followed by a mm-hmm. space, followed by a couple of other space separated things, and like. Hard coding our parser to you do that was quite a win back then. But maybe nowadays yeah. evaluating a JSON object is faster. I, I don't know. I actually did a test on this just just about Get a year out. ago, and I found yeah, I was I was because I was thinking about I was thinking about this exact scenario where it's sort of like you know we were communicating uh, using these custom protocols instead of JSON. I'm like, is this still worthwhile? And it, so I had like a, a five field message. And so I was like, I'm just going to take this five field message and I'm going to delimit it with some character. And I don't even remember what character I picked, probably colon or something like that. And I'm going to have an equivalent JSON message with with five key value pairs. And I'm going to see what the performance difference is just splitting the string on colons versus parsing the whole message. And it was more than 10x. It was more than 10x faster uh, in Chrome. Uh, And I was honestly surprised by that. Um, no, I, I'm still surprised now. Been, I mean, I, despite bringing it up, I thought it may have, you know, separate, uh, come together. By yeah, now, but. part of this may have been the way that I had these messages structured is um, the just the nature. I forget exactly what I was doing, but there was something where it was like four, like reasonably small messages or fields in the message. And then one big field at the end that was like a you know like a one k field you know right um, and I and I did take advantage of a little bit of a trick to say I know there's five fields here I'm always going to put the big field at the end and I'm going to only split up to the first four uh, colons so that after you found that last one you can just assume the whole rest of so it. So you is... don't even have to escape colons or anything that were in that blob at the end yes, or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just all in there. And so that was a little bit of a hack, but but with that, it was like significantly faster right. to not use JSON, which was surprising to me. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, 
obviously Jason is the right or something like it is a very mm-hmm. good choice almost all of the time because it's self-describing yeah. at some level. Yep. It's human readable for some level of some definition of, uh, of human readable. And, mm-hmm. um, and certainly if you have to, if you're in the unenviable task of having to bust out Wireshark and look at some kind mm-hmm. of communications between a client and server to work out what the heck happened, you've got more right. of a hope of understanding it. But for things where you have a very specific um client and server that just need to be very performant it's still i'm surprised yeah. but yeah yeah maybe i shouldn't have well been. and the dev tools just treat jason so much nicer that too. too you know you yeah. can go and you can look at those websocket messages going back and forth and it'll like parse them for you and do all the nice things for you um the other performance thing that i that i got from from joe and i don't know if this is still true um but it certainly was true back then is is just avoiding dom layout and just using fixed positioning for everything oh interesting like if you and i remember him talking about this and i think it was with with a ladder that he was building where he's just like yeah i just i just absolutely position these things on the screen in the places where i know they are and i you know can verify in the profiler that it's never triggering a layout when i change things because it's yeah that's an interesting one and it never has to relay out and that was a huge thing i don't know I, i don't know if that's still true but like it was certainly true back then and that was one of the sort of the the little tricks that we use to, to make it, you know, as you say, you've got this giant monitor with all these different, you know, graphs and charts and, you know, position tables and things. And you just got to make sure that it can keep up. Yeah. And uh, we also experimented, although never came to any firm conclusions uh, at the time um, with using uh, GL style things, you know, you've got WebGL that lets you do oh, hardware yeah. accelerated things. So if you've got, uh, you know, and obviously that's, you might ne- naturally think of that as being a 3D thing. And indeed, you know, that's a lot of fun making a huge model spin around and, and gl- right. be lit and everything. But you can use it for 2D operations as well. And it, that might fit the bill for certain things. We really have gone off of topic here. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I can't even remember what the topic was. It was just like web development, our strange way, I suppose. So that yeah, kind of fits into of this our, category. Yeah, it's sort of our strange model of web development that we that we both, I but, think, learned from. So let's, let's sort of do a, let's recap where we are with this. Yeah. And that is like, we both come from a luxurious position of being able to dictate which web browser mm-hmm. people can use, right? Right. We don't advocate the needless... A dependency on third-party libraries. jQuery mm-hmm. might get in there, but maybe not anymore. Maybe not underscore. Not even these days, no. Maybe may come in there. Uh, certainly, that's very few and far between that yes. I would add libraries. And that, that's more yeah. to do with um, being able to explain what the system is doing. Obviously, once it hits mm-hmm. Chrome, you can't explain what's going on in there. But then there are right. Chrome dev tools and things that do help you there. But if there's yeah. any amount of inventing frameworky things in between, then you know maybe that's fuddish on our part. But certainly, we have yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's a little superstitious. It's a little fuddish. But at the same time, it's sort of like if I don't add those things, there's this whole category of problems that I can guarantee I won't have. Right. Now, would I have had those problems if I had added it in? And I don't know. Have you booked in different problems by having to write reinvent wheels yourself? Maybe. But Maybe. so anyway, that, so minimizing yeah. the, your, your dependencies, I think in the sort of pre-conversation before this, you said, unless it brings a 10x benefit, then you don't right. bring it in. That's, that seems like a not unreasonable thing to say. Similarly, with that performance kind of thing, you know, if it's 10x faster, then maybe it's worth doing it mm-hmm. a different way if you need the performance rather than just sucking it up and using JSON or whatever. Um, testing the DOM, that was another thing yep. we brought up. Uh, using the DOM as the kind of unit of uh, what functions return and mm-hmm. mutate and that kind of stuff. 
and uh, yeah, that that's sort of a, a weird uh, a weird way of developing web tools, but it works for us. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I'd be interested in what it, other people think of of this and whether they're horrified at the fact that we're not using React JS or Dollar Framework here or jQuery. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, 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 I'm going to I'm going to sort of take a, walk this back a little bit. I've had some very good success with Knockout as a framework, which is an extremely, mm-hmm. extremely thin framework. It's mm-hmm. not really a framework at all. Yeah. Uh, but um, that has, that's like the, the least frameworky framework that I've in, had good success with. And certainly for slightly more complicated interactions and DOM uh, mm-hmm. manipulations where things, you've got sliders that need to update numbers and uh, mm-hmm. like in another field or vice versa, where there's sort of bi-directional communications between like widgets, then something like Knockout, it can be a good thing. Uh, but. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't used it for a long while. And Compiler Explorer is mostly handwritten for what it's worth. It's a similar deal, right? Oh, everything inside mm-hmm. of it. We do use a third-party compi- component called Golden Layout, which is like the windowing system. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And it coincidentally was written by a bunch of folks who were uh, at a trading company and open source. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you need a big old window full of like sub-windows that can be moved and repositioned and uh, right. scaled and whatnot, then, you know, it turns out that... Uh, the trading industry apparently needs that more than most other industries. Yeah. Um, yeah, you talking about Knockout had me thinking. I, I have used a, I don't know if it's a library or framework, depends on what word you want to use there, called uh, Backbone. Oh, yeah. Um, for And specifically, we used it for data binding. So this is this problem we were just talking about. Like, okay, you've got your template, right? You've just cloned your template. You're inside the function. You got your data as an argument to the function. You've got your template. Now what? Um and that goes two ways. One is you got to put the data into the template. And then you might also want to have what some people call two-way data binding, where it's like, okay, I put the data into the template. I put it on the screen. Now someone's changed it. I got to pull it back out again. Yeah. Right? And you can do a lot of stuff yourself. You can do a lot of stuff with some very simple conventions. Right? Yes. Like, I'm going to name the field this, and I'm going to use the same thing on the class, so I know and I'm going to select it. And I have my generic on, on change... Yeah thing right. that just connects the two together or whatever yeah yep yep so you can do it like that um but there are also libraries and tools and things that'll do that for you and and backbone was one that i remember using and remember not hating so <laughs> i don't know how much of an endorsement that was but, that's uh um very but we definitely <laughs> yeah right but we definitely like recognize one of the you know one of the downsides of this you were just saying like solving problems yourself that you maybe don't have to Data binding is one of those problems where it's like, I'm, I'm going to put data into these DOM elements. I'm probably going to have to pull it back out again. In other instances, are you going to handcraft all of that? Are you going to have some simple mechanism for that? Are you going to use the library for that? Right. And especially when there are some stupidities in the DOM where sometimes it's a dot value on something and sometimes it's right. the dot text. Yep. And you're like, which yep. one is it? Yep. I don't yep. know. Yep. Oh, no. The right. number of times right. that I've, I've marked that up and ended up with like an empty string yes. or a none and or something. And like escaping and dealing with, um, I mean, certainly jQuery is capable of handling this stuff, but it's sort of like escaping things so that you don't get like JavaScript injection attacks. Oh, do you see? In, it, <laughs> you know, uh, it. <laughs> it uh, on purpose or otherwise, right? Oh. Like, I definitely have some things where it's like, where is the text of this thing? It's like, oh, there's some square bra- or there's some angle brackets in there. That's that's not going to show up. That thinks that's a tag. So one of the one of the internal tools that uh, Joe was responsible for at DRW that we we won't talk about what it is mm-hmm. specifically, but it did have a way of naming uh, some of the little tabs that you could put up, mm-hmm. and uh, rather unfortunately, because Joe rolled it all himself, uh, it was totally uh, exploitable. 
and uh, and so I used to embed my JavaScript emulator running Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> in, in a little pane, and then I would send you could bookmark links that would like reproduce them, and then I would send it out to the traders and say, "Have you seen this?" <laughs> so don't ever take that out. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Cool. In summary, then don't in use summary. a framework. Mm-hmm. Unless you have to use a framework, but you sometimes use a framework. <laughs> but well, I would say <laughs> this. I again, I, I based on my experience, and again, we have these this sort of weird background and this weird experience doing this. But I don't feel particularly wrong in saying you should learn the web standards. Like mm-hmm. they're there, they're always there. They're they're going to be there for a really long time, <laughs> uh, and. It never hurts. Like if you think of yourself as a React developer, you think of yourself as somebody that maybe knows a lot of different frameworks and as Mm -hmm. as a web developer, um, there's a lot of knowledge that you have and that's great. And you will definitely not diminish that at all by learning how the web standards work and learning how browsers uh, work under like one layer below you um, because there's just so much gold there. There's so much great stuff there and you basically get it for free. So you should know about it. You should at least be aware that it exists. I am I, absolutely loving this. You've seen me grinning like a fool at you while you've been ta- telling me this because this is the argument I use, but it's you substitute framework users with C++ or compiled language people <laughs> right. with and, and web standards with the assembly code. Yep. And we're making the same argument. It's like yeah, you don't yes. have to use it, but you should know it's there and ha- have a working understanding of it so that you know how the tools that you use are built on the layers and mm. layers and layers above. And, I mean, it goes all the way down as well you can keep going down it's, it's yeah. great that's what makes yeah. this job so interesting and working in the field <laughs> there's always another so layer cool. every yeah. time you think you've hit the bottom there's another layer yeah absolutely yeah all right my friend well until next time until next time been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rady and Matt Godbold. Find the show transcript and notes at twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Twitter at 2CP, that's at T-W-O-S-C-P. Theme music by Inverse Phase, inversephase.com. <laughs>